Well, let me add my welcome to you. My name is Pastor Joshua, and the pastor's here. It's a pleasure to be able to share with you from God's Word. Would you do me a favor? Uh, Would you take a couple moments and uh, please uh, complete our customer survey? Uh, If you do, you will be entered to win, right, a prize draw in which you will get a fully functioning snowblower. It's a little late in the season, but I'm there for you, all right? And uh, so let me ask you a couple questions here. How did you find out about our product? Was it through A, a billboard? B, TV advertisement? C, the internet? D, word of mouth? D, word of mouth. Thank you very much. Okay, Uh, how satisfied were you with our product? A, very dissatisfied. B, satisfied, and C, very satisfied. C, thank you, very satisfied. All right, great, awesome. And uh, would you be prepared to recommend our product to somebody else? A, yes. B, don't know. C, no. A, yes, thank you so much for your time. Now, I don't know if you ever do those kinds of surveys. I rarely do. But I think the answers that they are looking for are, one, word of mouth, uh, two, very satisfied, and three, yes, I'd be happy to pass it along to others. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus is personally recommended. It is by word of mouth. People pass on what they have seen and what they have learned, and they pass it on to others. They want to introduce people to Jesus. People find themselves very satisfied with who He is, and they, in turn, want to tell others about Him. But if I was to ask most Americans today, fast forward, right, 2,000 years to today, and we're to ask most Americans, how did you find out about Jesus? Were you satisfied with Jesus? And are you prepared to recommend him to others? I think we'd find out that most people do not know who Jesus is and what he is there to satisfy. But they do know one thing. They would never think of being so intolerant to share their beliefs with somebody else. Every person must decide what religion works best for them. So I think it's safe to say that religion must be the least important attribute that defines American sense of identity, the sense of who we are. You know, as Americans, we are just not that interested in Jesus. We're not sure what He is offering, and we'll keep our religious opinions to ourselves. As a matter of fact, Jesus is just not that big of a deal. He ranks far below my political beliefs. He ranks far below my nationality, my gender, my job, my sexual orientation, my ethnicity. For Americans, faith is not a first-order thing. Faith is not a second-order thing. It's not even a third-order thing. So I think if we were to poll the average American on a numerical scale of importance, your identity Religious beliefs would rank 4.6 out of 10. Bottom rank. Does that ring true of you? Does that ring true of your neighbors? It seems that religious beliefs are just not a thing anymore. And most people are glad about it. One less thing to argue about. Which makes it almost incomprehensible 
in our world today to read Jesus' words, follow me, and grown men leave behind their careers, their homes, their families, and prioritize Jesus. Is Jesus greater than we realize? Is Jesus greater than you realize? It's like coming on the antique road show. Anybody seen that? You know how it works. People bring in an item that has been passed down from one generation to the next. They have no idea its worth. They bring it to the appraiser to hear the appraiser say, do you know what you have here? Well, John this morning is going to help you appraise Jesus so that you can have confidence in becoming an apprentice of Jesus. John wants to point to Jesus so that you can walk out of here prioritizing Jesus as number one. It's what John has been doing all along. If you're new to our study in John, we are so glad to have our college students here. Aaron Reed, right? John, here's an overview. Uh, Hazel Platt, Overview, Aaron O'Brien, where are you? Yep, there you are, great. Others of our guests that are here, here's John. What we've been learning so far, listen to these amazing affirmations we've heard about Jesus. He is the Word. That means He is God's self-disclosure. He is the pre-existent Word. He was there with God from the beginning. He has a privileged space because He was with God and the Word was God. That's just verse 1. He is the creator of all things, verse 3. He is life and light, verse 4. He overcomes darkness, verse 5. He became God incarnate in the flesh, verse 9. And he has come to visit us. And he gives us the right to be called children of God, verse 12. He is full of glory. He is full of grace. He is full of truth, verse 14. He makes the invisible God visible, verse 18. And he is at the Father's side, verse 18. No matter what you think about Jesus this morning, I think it is safe to say that we think too little of Him. Our understanding of Jesus is woefully deflated. We have a matchbox view of Jesus, but the Gospel of John will not allow any of us to hold any longer an itty-bitty view of Jesus because Jesus is greater than you realize. But it's not just John that thinks Jesus is a big deal? More and more people each day are beginning to appraise Jesus as supreme. I don't know if you noticed it in our scripture reading, but did you track that John is trying to record for you each day of the very first week of Jesus' ministry? Look at verse 19. We're just going to just roll through these. And it was the first day. Then we have verse 29, the next day. Verse 35, the next day again. Verse 43, the next day after that. Each day, people are moving from a cognitive ascent of who Jesus is to becoming committed apprentices of Jesus, all because of how they appraise Him. In other words, they are prepared to put Jesus as their highest priority because as they have a personal encounter with Him, they realize He's the greatest person in the world. 
But the question is, how does that happen? How does that tipping point happen? How do people move from claims made about Jesus to confidence in following Jesus the rest of their lives? So much confidence that they center their whole life around him. Well, John is going to illustrate for us how that movement happens by three scenes, three vignettes, if you will. Each of these vignettes, each scene kind of has the same order. There is an invitation, come and see, to a resolution by the end. We have found the purpose of these scenes is so that you can stare into their lives, you can eavesdrop in onto their conversations, so that you can understand why they came to their conclusions about who Jesus is, so that you can leave with the same apostolic confidence to follow Jesus the rest of your life. Wouldn't you love to have the apostolic confidence to leave your fishing nets behind, and to follow Jesus. Track these scenes with me. The first vignette is John the Baptist. He recommends Jesus to Andrew and John. Look at verses 35 through uh, 37. 35 through 37. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So it begins with a commendation from John the Baptist. He recommends Jesus to his followers. He has been preparing for them to recognize who the Messiah is. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he points him out. This Jesus is that Messiah. He is the one you are to follow. He has the priority over me. But it moves from a second-hand commendation to a first-hand encounter. Look at 38. We move from a second-hand commendation to a first-hand encounter. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, what are, you, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. They meet Jesus. Jesus invites them to discover personally the Savior that he is. You hear the invitation, come, the promise, and you will see. And so they spend time with Jesus. They end up staying the night, they see for themselves, and they reach the same conclusion as John the Baptist. Look at verses 40 through 41. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. They heard a commendation. They go and see themselves. They reach the same conclusion. They have appraised Jesus. They're highly satisfied with the evidence. Jesus is greater than they realized. So they leave John the Baptist. They give Jesus the priority because he eclipses all of their formal callings. They give to Jesus their utmost allegiance. 
and they become his apprentice. Vignette number two. They continue the recommendation by word of mouth. Notice our second vignette in verse 40. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. That's Simon Peter's brother. Now he first went and found his own brother, Simon, and he said to Simon, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Now it's Peter's turn. Peter gets to hear a commendation from Andrew. This Jesus is that Messiah. Now, John is really helpful here. Every time they use a Hebrew word, John wants his audience to be able to know what it means. And so he tells you what the Hebrew word means in Greek, because that was his first audience. So every time you hear a Hebrew word here, rabbi, which means teacher, right? So now we have it again. Messiah, which means Christ. If you're new to understanding Christianity, Christ is not Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. It's referring to him as a specific title. In Hebrew, that means Messiah. In Greek, it is Christ. Both of them just mean the anointed one. So Andrew is very confident in his appraisal of Jesus. We have found. But he's also very passionate, right, about his priority. Come and see. So look at verse 42. He brought him, speaking of Peter, to Jesus. Now, Peter has his own personal encounter with Jesus. Verse 42, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, this is different than all the other vignettes. This is for the person who thinks that they're in the driver's seat. Maybe that's you here this morning. You think that you're sort of interested in Jesus. You're checking him out. You are kind of hanging around the edges of the church, and you think that you're judging Jesus. You're evaluating him. You're appraising him to see if he's worth following with your life. And then he calls you. Surprise, Jesus is greater than you realize. He has the authority to call you. And when he calls you, he changes you. For there is not a single person that Christ calls that he does not change. You are no longer going to be called Cephas. You're going to be called Peter. Well, the next day it's the same pattern, but with a little bit more intensity. Look at verse 43, our third scene. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom, listen to this, Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Did you notice how it intensifies? It's no longer just a personal recommendation. Now it is a recommendation from the whole Old Testament. It is all of these witnesses from the Old Testament that are commending to you to consider following Jesus the Christ. He is the one who fits the whole Old Testament. Well, Nathaniel hears that commendation, but he is not a seeker like John and Andrew. Nathaniel, not a seeker more of a skeptic. Look at verse 46. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? We see that Nathanael 
some prejudice because he has some preconceived ideas of who the Messiah has to be based upon where he's from. Confusion about Jesus' origins is actually going to be something that we're going to track all the way through the Gospel of John. People are consistently confused about where Jesus is from. He's not from Nazareth. He's actually from Bethlehem. But then we find out that he's not actually from Bethlehem, but he's from heaven. More on that later. But Jesus is greater than he initially realized. He has reservations. And notice that they don't turn into an apologetic here. I know us Christians, we like to kind of get our answers ready to kind of clarify with that person why they're wrong and why we're right. Instead, his reservations, all they need is not an apologetic defense, but just an invitation. Philip said to him, come and see. You've heard the commendation. Come and see yourself. Now Jesus, in verse 47, sees Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. That's all right. It happens. Jesus has the authority to call you. And when he calls you, he changes you. And you think you might just be here just checking it out. I think Jesus knows you're here. All right. That wasn't in the sermon, but that was fun. Thank you so much. Where were we? Nathaniel encounters Jesus, and Jesus says to him, there's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. It's a nice compliment because what it means for us this morning is this. Nathaniel's skepticism is actually very sincere. Nathaniel, his, his pause, his, his puzzle, his prejudice is not a smokescreen as if he wants to try to keep Jesus at a distance and doesn't want to have to come in contact with him. Okay, He just doesn't know the truth. And there are great difficulties for a first century Jew to believe that Jesus is God. Flip over in your Bibles to John 7. If you're new to using a Bible, the large numbers of the chapters, the small numbers of the verses. Flip over to the right, John 7, look for that big number. Then look for the small number, verse 40. John 7, 40 through 42. And see that Nathaniel is not the only one who is skeptical that this Jesus is that God. John 7, verse 40, we'll read through 42. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet? Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scriptures said that Christ must come from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Others are saying, This doesn't add up. He's not supposed to come from here. This undoubtedly is what Nathaniel has in his mind. His objection to becoming an apprentice of Jesus is an honest one. It's genuine. His question is not an act of deception to sidestep and just to be out of a difficult conversation. He is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. It was sincere. It was genuine. Which means this, faith family. There are some people here this morning that have sincere questions. And we are so glad you're here. Sincere people can have questions. And here's some questions that people might ask today. Can anything relevant come out of the Bible? Can anything good come out of a church? 
And those are not just questions to keep us off and to try to dodge the topic. Sometimes those are real genuine questions because it's hard for them to believe the Bible has life in it when all they've heard from the media is how backwards our morals are. And it's hard for them to look at the good of a church when all they know is about the hurt that's been caused. How could the church be a good, transforming community? And our answer only has to be, come and see. Nathaniel wasn't presently persuaded, but he was willing to investigate. Look back at John 1.48. Go there to John 1.48. He didn't believe right off the bat, but he was willing to have an encounter with Christ and to consider what he had to say. So verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And that sincere question is rewarded with a firsthand personal discovery. So Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now what's important for us to remember, young people, is that this is before Facebook, okay? This is before Instagram posts and Twitter feeds. So it's not like Jesus pulled up his cell phone and was like, oh yeah, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw that post, nice filter. Okay, like we did the lighting there. Okay, that's not what he did. This is actually Jesus only knew that he was there because of supernatural ability, not because of the latest Instagram post. I don't even know if Instagram's a thing for young people anymore, but that's about as hip as I can get. All right, if there's... Gracie will edit my sermons later. Now, Nathaniel sets aside all of his objections because now he's been met with sufficient evidence. Look at verse 49. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He didn't cling to his itty-bitty view of Jesus anymore, did he? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? No, he drops his matchbox view of Jesus he heard a commendation, he came and saw, and he reached the same conclusion as everybody else. Jesus is greater than I realized. Well, Jesus answered him, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'd love to do that song for you, but I'm not going to try. But look at verses 50 and 51. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus tells Nathaniel, you were impressed that I just knew where you were. You ain't seen nothing yet. You're going to see greater things than these. I can do better than that. Just wait. Now to see what he says here and how it is a claim that kind of supersedes all other claims, you have to understand the Old Testament again. But here's why you should try to understand it. You can leave this morning with confidence, apostolic confidence, to follow Jesus as his apprentice if you understand this claim. It's worth your effort. What we heard here at the last verse in verse 51 was a story about Jacob. We already read about that this morning, Mike, for us. Jacob is not just anybody. Jacob is one of the big three of the Israel family of the nation. He's one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the big three. And to those three, God makes an incredible promise. God makes a promise that he is one day going to reverse the mess that the humans have made. He is going to restore a relationship 
with God and man. And we pick up this promise that's reiterated to Jacob in Genesis 28 through 14. You can just follow along as I read it out loud. And Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God promises Jacob that one day heaven and earth are going to be connected so that God is not far away, that we are no longer banished from his presence, but the door, the gate of heaven will be opened and there will be a ladder connecting heaven and earth. You can have access to God through a ladder. That's the background. And so Nathanael would have known that as a descendant of Jacob, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And Jesus says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending. And Nathanael would have inserted into his mind the word ladder. But that's not what Jesus says. You will see angels ascending and descending on a son of man. The son of man is the most prestigious title given to God in Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man is going to be the ruler of the universe in which every single human being will be judged. And that ruler is also a mediator. It is God's most exalted title. And so Nathaniel learns that the angels ascending and descending are not going to be on a ladder, but the ladder is actually a person a person that will bridge heaven and earth and open heaven's gates. Look at verse 51 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He reconciles heaven and earth. Jesus becomes the ladder he becomes the open gate to heaven. Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, is this, if you follow me, you will see what was promised to Jacob realized. The promise made to Jacob, now realized in Jesus, Jesus is greater than we realized. For all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. What does that mean for us? Walk away now with some application for us this morning. We've understood the vignettes. We've seen how they move. But what does it mean for Monday morning? It means this. The greater revelation you have should lead to a greater revolution in your life. The point of Christian revelation of who Jesus is is for discipleship. It's for a reorientation of your life. To put it in the words of our faith family, you get this greater revelation for a greater discipleship. All the revelation about Christ that we have been receiving this morning is coming down to this reality. Jesus Christ is greater than you realize. Will you move from assent
It's becoming an apprentice of Jesus. Jesus is inviting you to be his disciple. To be a disciple is not just to believe certain things. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. Faith leads to following. Jesus is inviting you not just to a way of belief. Jesus is inviting you to a way of life that reorients everything around him. For those of you here this morning that don't call yourselves Christians, again, I can't tell you what a privilege it is that you are here this week overcoming so many hurdles to get into church and to consider what Christ is doing. Thank you for exploring with honesty and we expect that most of you have sincere about following Jesus. Know that he comes highly recommended. But, and to help you have confidence, apostolic confidence, like these very first men, perhaps you need more time. And we would love for you to take us up on that read-through of the Gospel of John. If you want more time, one-on-one, at a place of your choice to read through the Gospel of John at a slower pace with somebody you trust and a place you like and a free coffee, we would love to do that with you. Like the early disciples, all we want to say is come and see. Come and see. Come and see that Christ is the beginning and the end. Come and see that Christ is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. Come and see Christ is the purpose of history. You don't have to be stuck with an itty-bitty view of Jesus. My non-Christian friends, Jesus Christ is the one person, the one person that the more you spend time with him, you will only be more impressed. I guarantee you, the more you spend time with me, You'd be like, I liked him from a distance. <laughs> and the same is probably true of you. We look better further away. But Jesus Christ is the only person in history. The more time you spend with him, the more impressed you'll be day by day. That's my story, and it's the story of many people here. I grew up in a family that believed in God. My problem was not believing in God. My problem was the kind of God I believed in. I had an itty-bitty view of Jesus, a matchbox view of Jesus. You know, it was a Jesus that was an accessory in my life. I basically did what I want, as long as I didn't do anything too bad, which was according to my own standards, and I always seemed to pass my standards. <laughs> and, you know, Jesus was always there for me, you know, on the big things, like a test at school, and before a big soccer game. Always needing them there. Dear God, give us this win. But then I was invited to see by a physics teacher named Mr. Kirkham at a Christian school. And you know how I met the real Jesus? Through his word. Mr. Kirkham said, Josh, you've been through New Testament survey, Old Testament survey, how to say the Bible, theology one and two, and you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to share with you my expectations. Here's a three-by-five card. It has five questions on it that I want you to ask yourself every day when you read your Bible. And I want you to work through those, and I want you to write out every day an I will sentence at the end, based upon what you read, I will dot dot dot. And I want you to meet with God like you'd meet with any other person. Oh, Mr. Kirkham, I've already had theological training. I've already been through church history. I've already went through New Testament survey. No. Hey, Josh, here's a door for you to enter, 
For you experience the reality of Christ. You know what? Learning about what God is like personally has made all the difference. I began to experience and encounter God through His Word. And the more I knew about God, you know, a funny thing happened. The more I cared about my The more I knew about God, the more I cared about my obedience to Him. I know some of us struggle with doctrine and maybe heavy sermons or heady sermons, but doctrine determines the quality of your discipleship. It's okay that you feel pressed. It's okay that you feel that you have to go a little bit deeper, but the more you know Him, the more impressed you will be by Him, and it will just line up your feet, and you'll want to walk in those ways because Jesus is greater than I initially realized. That revelation had a revolution in my life. Academics, soccer, girls. Those were my big three. It was a trinity. Went to college. Still kept the academics. But I promised to not date anybody my freshman year. That's what I felt God asking me to do, not to be distracted. And in the joy that I found in Christ, I really enjoyed my freshman year. Second year, for the joy that I found in Him, I gave up Division I soccer. And I just found myself wanting to spend more time telling people what I had found and that you should come and see so that you can follow. Follow with me. Come and see. Jesus is greater than you realize. It's not just me that has that testimony. Talk to the person who brought you. Hear their story. For those that call themselves Christians, church, I'm going to get in your chili for the next five minutes and we'll be done. If you call yourself a Christian and you're here and you know Jesus, maybe you're not stuck with an itty-bitty Jesus. Maybe you're clinging to an itty-bitty Jesus. You know what I mean by that? Maybe you're clinging to an itty-bitty Jesus because you want a deflated view of Jesus so that you don't have to become his disciple. You know for you to embrace his claims that that would mean surrender, submission. Jesus has your number one priority. Maybe you're clinging to an itty-bitty Jesus because you know his claims mean change. But may I remind you, faith family, Jesus does not call anyone he doesn't change. For whoever he calls, he changes. So what is getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus? This morning, would you revisit your priority list? Maybe you think your marriage is a really big deal, and you're frustrated that this church is not offering better, more relevant classes on how to help your marriage. Maybe you think your job is the really big deal, and you bless us with your presence whenever you can steal away from work to get time on a Sunday to be here. Or maybe what you think is a really, 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 really big deal is national politics. My friends, we have it backwards. Jesus is greater than you realize. Your marriage is only a big deal in as much as it reflects and portrays Jesus Christ to others. Your work is only a big deal in the sense that it was given to you by Christ to be a place where you can work unto Him. And our politics are only a big deal in that they reflect His justice and goodness. To the degree that any of those good things has been added on top of Jesus... It is an idol that has to be killed. 
Only Jesus can be number one. And Jesus is not your priority if he comes number eight on the list. Jesus is bigger than you think. Not an itty-bitty Jesus. What are you prepared to give up to follow Jesus? If the answer isn't everything, you might still be clinging to an itty-bitty Jesus. My friend, Jesus is greater than you realize. Which changes my job. My job as a pastor is to point to Jesus so that you will prioritize Jesus. Which means my goal is not to make attenders and seats, but apprentices of Jesus. And maybe when ordinary Christians, not pastor types, but the ordinary types, common Christians can build their core identity around him, not your racial heritage, not your career, not your sexual preference, not your political party, but when you build your life around Jesus, maybe when ordinary Christians completely reorient their life based upon the revelation of who he is, and when you prioritize him, maybe you will have the confidence to take courage and point to Jesus to others, proclaiming him, promoting him, a revelation for a revolution. Faith family, we don't have to be on our heels in 20 The opportunity before the church is enormous. We don't need to go back to pre-COVID church. The church was made for times like these because Christ shines in a crisis. Jesus is greater than you realize. I'll give you a moment of silence to reflect on what God's calling you to do. Then I'll invite a special friend up.